Amen. And as you're seated, say the word prepared. Say the word prepared. Say the word useful. One more time. Say the word useful. So all month long, we've been talking about at our church how to prepare our lives this year to be useful spiritually for God. And, and kind of the main verse of this series, we've called this series Soul Detox, is 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. And in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21, Paul tells his young apprentice Timothy, he said, Timothy, in a large house, there are articles not only of uh, gold and silver, but some of wood and clay. And if you'll cleanse yourself from the latter, if you'll get rid of the garbage in your life, and you'll find the good stuff in your life, and you'll put more of that in, he said, you'll be made useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So as a church, we've been trying to figure out how this year in 2013 can we prepare our lives to be useful spiritually. Because that's what our church is all about. We're not trying to just meet on Sunday and have church. We're not just trying to have one service and then have two services. We're not as interested in building a church as we are, as we are interested in building people. The mission statement of our church, and I've said this every Sunday this year, is that we exist as a church. The reason Journey Church International exists is because we want to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians that make a difference in the world. That's what we are committed to doing, and that's every Sunday what we're trying to figure out how to help you to do just a little more in your life. However, if there is a mission statement uh, near and dear to my heart that's, that's a very close second to that mission statement I just gave you, like if... if if I wasn't pastoring this church and I could choose one thing to commit my life to, it would be to speak to young couples about marriage because I am extremely passionate about marriage. I'm passionate about young men being great husbands. I'm passionate about young men being great dads. Why? Because the first 10 years of my marriage, like I told you, in my 20s, I was a terrible husband. I was immature. I wasn't very spiritual. I wasn't a servant. I was not a good husband. And I wouldn't have rated my marriage in my 20s on a scale of 1 to 10. I wouldn't have rated it probably much higher than a 5 because I was a poor husband. I had the, wife's, uh, the, the world's greatest wife or who knows whether I would even be married today. So I'm passionate about marriage. So next Sunday, before we finish this series, I want to give you a preview about next Sunday. Next Sunday, we dig into what will be the most important series of the year for me, for those of you in our church, listen to me, who are married, who are divorced, and want to get remarried one day, who are single and hope to be married one day, who are teenagers and one day want to be married. I wish someone would have told me the things that we will teach the next five weeks in our church about marriage because I believe everyone in here, even if your marriage rate's a 10 on a scale of 10, it can be an 11. We're doing a series called Man Versus Wife. And we are going to reveal in this series some of the interesting things that the Bible has to say about marriage. You will be shocked at the warning that God gave the very first couple, Adam and Eve, about how difficult marriage was going to be. And I've summarized it in our title, Man Versus Wife. God basically told Adam and Eve, you, th this was going to be like war, you trying to be married. And ever since then, we find out that marriage is difficult. So we've got five messages on marriage. The first one is marriage. What's the point? What is the point of being married? Should we be married? Should we stay married? Is there any honor in marriage? Should we just live together? Or should I just get divorced and be single? Do I, deserve, uh, do I deserve the right to be happy or do I deserve the right to be faithful? Marriage, what's the point? The second message uh, is, is titled Unlearning Bad Marriage. I'm convinced that a lot of us don't do well in marriage because we've never seen a great marriage and we simply are our mother or our father or a football coach or a school teacher. We, we are marriages we've seen in life or seen on TV and we, we, just, we need to unlearn some stuff that's causing conflict in, in our marriage. The, the third message is simply titled sex. 
And that message will be about sex. And, and that's going to be like more of a week than, than a message. You know how you, there's Shark Week on National Geographic? This is going to be like Sex Week at, at JCI. And I'm going to give you a chat. Now, unless you're single, that week is not Sex Week if you're single. But if you're married, that week is going to be Sex Week. And, and we're, going to have a, a, we're going to give you a challenge on how many times you should have sex that week and what you should talk about. We found incredible healing and intimacy last year in our church when we offered just a little bit of a sex challenge. People who for the first time sat down and started talking about their sex life. You're going to find out in that message one of the greatest causes of strife and bitterness in a marriage under the age of people who are 40 is their sex life. On February 24th, I'm going to give you warning signs of an affair. How you know if you are walking the ledge of getting ready to have an affair or, or whether your spouse is or whether your sons or daughters um, are. And then on February 3rd, we're going to do what we call marriage one-to-one. And all month long, I'm going to take marriage questions from you after every service. Uh, and on that day, Danielle and I will sit on a stage and we will just answer the questions you've asked all month long about, hey, here's some things we want to know about marriage. What, what would you say about this? So it's, it's going to be an incredible month moving forward. And I hope you'll pick your service. Remember that we have two. Get here. Bring someone with you that, that maybe needs some marriage help. Everyone in here knows someone who's, who's, who's in a bad marriage, whose marriage just ended um, who's getting ready to get married, they need to be here for this service. Try to get them here for, for five weeks for this series. But today, today we wrap up Soul Detox, this series that we've been in trying to figure out how to prepare our lives to be useful spiritually. We started in week one with a message called Inner Detox. We gave a Bible reading challenge. Some of you are just killing it spiritually reading your Bibles this year. Some of you have just died reading your Bible spiritually. And my challenge to you is start again. So you missed January. There's 11 months to go get back up on the horse and get going. We did a message called Outer Detox, and we talked about the things in our life that maybe we need to get out of our life, habits, uh, attitudes, uh, hang-ups that we have in our life that if we're going to grow spiritually, we need to remove those from our life. Last week, we talked about relational detox, and we saw from the Bible the importance of, the, the word we used was yoke, the importance of being linked together for the purpose of walking with God spiritually and today, we're, we're using a word that, that may not be familiar to you, the word missional, but it basically means how you serve in your life. We're talking about missional detox. Now, I need you, like I said earlier, I need everyone to have, along with your sermon notes that we gave you, I need you to have your connection card inside your Bible, this whole message. I need you to put your name on it now, and I need you to keep it in, in this Bible, the whole message, because today, today, man, today we, we are taking account. Today... We are talking about being useful spiritually. I'm going to give you some ways to be useful spiritually. And I'm going to need you to tell me how I can pray for you, how you'd like to get involved, how you'd like to get engaged. So today's going to be a little interactive. I need you to have this connection card because there's going to be certain points when I say something in my message. And I'm going to say you need to do that and you need to turn over your connection card right now and write these words so that I can sign you up to do that. Today, we are going to get some stuff done as a church spiritually. Now, your sermon notes look like this if you're brand new, so you can take some notes. But also have your connection card because we are going to hit the ground running today trying to figure out how you and I can ensure that the direction and the purpose of our life are making a spiritual impact, are working towards leaving a spiritual legacy. And I want to read you one verse about a man that I'll be honest, if there's any verse in the Bible that I would hope one day they might put on the back of my tombstone, it would be this verse. The verse is in Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. 
And if you don't have your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the, the, the aisles and they're going to pass out Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot your Bible, if you want a Bible, raise your hand, wave at the ushers. We've given away nearly 400 Bibles since our church started about 16 months ago, uh, just like this. So if you're brand new and you don't have one or if you just forgot one, uh, great. If, if you don't have a Bible, write your name in this one. It's yours. Keep it. It's our gift to you. Um, if you just forgot yours but you want a Bible to, to study with us, Today, just use it. You can write in it, throw it on the table when you leave, and we'll hand it out again next week. But in Acts chapter 11, we meet a man named Barnabas. Uh, I will show you in a minute that I believe Barnabas is one of the most important Christians in the New Testament, but most of you don't know who he is. He, he was not one of the 12 disciples. Um, he, uh, we, we don't hear anything about him in the life of Jesus or in the books about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the books we call the Gospels, which is a word that means good news. Uh, but we find him all over the book of Acts, and we find him all over the New Testament, and we find out that, that this guy is one of the most important Christians in the history of the world. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, a verse is given about this guy. Somebody, the writer of Acts just says, hey, I want you to know this about this person. And as we read this verse about Barnabas' life, I, I want to ask you this question. If somebody were writing one verse about you to put in the Bible to summarize your life spiritually, what would they say? If you got one verse in the Bible to describe your life spiritually, what would people say? This is Barnabas's, and here's what it says in Acts 11:24. And man, I, I'm telling you, Danielle, throw this on my tombstone when I die. I mean, it, I, I like this verse. Just I, I, You can plagiarize it. Most people won't know it's a Bible verse. Um, it, it says this. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord, and we would add in context, because of his life. Who is Barnabas? Who's that Barnabas guy? I'll tell you who Barnabas is. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord because of his life. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not me. I would like it to be me, but it's not me. But as we study his life, we're going to find out, man, that, that this guy... Barnabas, um, he had it going on spiritually. But we see a point, a point in his life where he went from living for himself to living for God and everything changed. Now, now who, who was he? I don't know if you're going to be able to write all this down, but I, I want you to know who, who Barnabas was. I want to give you what I, what I call a bio blast. Uh, I actually saw this on ESPN when it was describing a, a coach somewhere. Um, this is just like a, just a very quick biography of Barnabas. His name actually wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph. So Barnabas was Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname, but it's the name that, uh, that we know uh, him as. His nickname was Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement, and he was so encouraging that basically people called him the encourager. They would see him walking in a room and say, hey, there's the encourager, except in Aramaic that sounded like Barnabas. There's Barnabas, it became his nickname. There are some of you in here today who would be nicknamed Barnabas if you went to the church 2,000 years ago, and there are some of you in here who would be nicknamed the discourager if you went to church 2,000 years ago. I don't know what that name is, but I know there are some people in your life and mine that when you see them walking towards you, you just think, oh, no. We used to have a sign hanging in our weight room uh, at Liberty University where, where I, I went to college, and it said, make people happy when they see you coming, not when they see you leaving. We all have people in our life, right, that when we see them heading the other way, we're like, Shoo. we also all have people in our life that when we see them coming to us, they're Barnabas. They're, they're an encourager. Uh, we know that he was a Levite, which, mean, which means he was born to serve God, that his lot in life as a Levite is, is that he was born 
to serve God. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. He was from Cyprus. So he was, he was Jewish, but he was not from Israel. He was from Cyprus. This is an island in the Mediterranean Sea that you and I, if we had enough money, could go vacation on today. And I hear it's beautiful. That's where he was born and raised before he moved to Jerusalem. Uh, he became the Apostle Paul's spiritual sponsor. Um, if you can think of like an Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor that, that checks up on someone and makes sure they get on their feet, he was the Apostle Paul's spiritual sponsor. When no one believed in Paul, he did. He said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give this guy my credibility uh, you can trust him because you trust me. Um, we know that the Jerusalem church, uh, in the very early days of the Jerusalem church, met in his sister's home. We find that out from Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that like his sister hosted a small group. For all you small group leaders, Barnabas's family, they hosted and led small groups in, in their homes. Um, his nephew, Mark, wrote the book of Mark. Uh, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark would have called Barnabas Probably Uncle Joseph, not Uncle Barnabas, because that was his nickname. But Mark was his nephew. Uh, we know that he was a missionary part of his life. We know that he was a pastor part of his life. We know that he was, at one point, the best friend and the traveling partner of the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul traveled, starting churches all over the world, Barnabas was, was right there with him. Um, he was known, according to Scripture, to most of the New Testament churches. Five different letters to New Testament churches mentioned Barnabas, so a lot of people knew who he was. He was extremely influential, and some people think he wrote the book of Hebrews. So, so like, this cat is important spiritually. But what we find out about him spiritually is, is that while he left a tremendous impact spiritually, while he left a tremendous legacy spiritually, there was a point in time in his life where he went from living for himself to living for God, and, and we see what I would call a missional detox, a change in direction, not only in his life, but in the purpose of his life. And today, I'm trying to get your attention to try to figure out whether or not we need a change or redirection or refocusing on not just our life, but the purpose of our life and why we do what we do, trying to get missional in our thinking, meaning trying to have a purpose for our lives spiritually. So that's a bunch of stuff about Barnabas. But I, but I want to tell you not just what we can learn about him, but what we can learn from him. So three things today I want to give you that we can learn from Barnabas. Uh, and, and the first one is this. As we look at the life of Barnabas, um, we find out that the first thing in his life that happened was that he had a major change in perspective. In living his life spiritually, this was someone who loved God. This was someone who went to church. This was someone who probably read their Bible. This was someone that was engaged and involved spiritually. But we see at some point in his life, he had a change in perspective where he went from being engaged and involved to really living on purpose spiritually. Now, two years ago, I was at a, uh, I was at a church planning conference with my wife and with Chris and Amy Zerby, two of the folks who start, helped to start the church. Uh, it was called Radicalis in Orange County, California. Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Church, The Purpose Driven Life, a bunch of other things, uh, led that conference. And he was a big church history buff, and I love church history. Um, and at that conference, as, as kind of a side note, um, he told us that he'd been studying about the spiritual great awakenings in Europe and America. And he said as he studied the history of the spiritual great awakenings, he, he found out that there were five things that happened that allowed a community to be set on fire spiritually. Five things that happened that allowed communities to literally catch fire spiritually where everything changed. What were those five things? He said it always started in the life of one person, where someone had a personal 
renewal. Somebody decided they were going to get closer to Jesus. They were going to live more closely to Jesus. Then they would have a relational renewal. You're going to find out that most Christians you've met, most church people you've met, at some point in their life get burnt out on people. And you'll hear people say all the time, I love church, but I don't want to be around people. I don't like people. If you're in a place right now where you don't like people, you've got an obstacle to experiencing revival in your life because the second part of revival is that you re-engage relationally with people so that you can grow together. We talked a lot about that last week. Then there's a missional renewal, which means that this person who's been growing spiritually, who's now with a group of people who are growing spiritually, they decide together that they're going to they're gonna live with purpose spiritually. From there, we find Rick Warren says structural renewal, which means entire churches were shaped for purpose rather than to just have service. And from there, it would go to cultural renewal where enough people started coming to enough church, enough people started personal renewal, relational renewal, missional renewal, that a community was changed. And literally, there are two periods in history known as the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening where a fire of spiritual revival hit the world. Now, that is what we are looking for in our church. That's what I'm looking for out of the people that that God has allowed to gather here on Sunday mornings. What is a revival? It's an extraordinary, supernatural move of God. Not just having church, but like where God does something that everybody's like, man, did you see what God is doing? And we are trying to shape our church this way. When we started our church, we said, let's start a church that leads people to revival. Let's start a church that leads people to personal renewal, relational renewal, missional renewal. Let's build a structure that, that allows them to live that out, and let's try to impact our community. We, we built a church to try to do these five things, and here has been my problem the last six months. When we first started the church, anyone who came, I'd try to have coffee with them, lunch with them, dinner with them, to talk to them about the church, to tell them what was going on so that they could figure out how to get engaged and start living on mission with us. And as our church has grown and if so many people have come, I've not been able to, to catch up with everyone. So we sit in our leadership team meetings and I ask our people, you know, how, how do I get more people to understand what our church is all about so they don't just come on Sunday mornings? And we've decided that one of the things we're going to do is we're going to start offering a monthly, what we call just JCI info class to tell people why we started our church, how it works, how we want them to be involved, to answer any questions they have about our church, to do what I would do having coffee or lunch or dinner, but to, but to do it as a group. We're going to do the first one of these on March 3rd. You say, why do I need my connection card? Because this is the first thing that I need you to write down. If you're a part of our church and you don't feel like you know how our church works yet or how it started or you've had some questions you want to ask me, I want you on the back of your card just to write in that blank space provided for your prayer request, just write JCI Info Class. And we will reach out to you in the next month and say, hey, here's when we're going to have these classes. We'd love to come. We'll feed you breakfast. We'll watch your kids. Or we'll feed you lunch and we'll watch your kids. And we'll get together and we'll take 90 minutes to talk about why we started our church, what we want to see happen, and how you can be highly involved. We want to be able to do that with everyone in our church, not just the people that have time to meet for breakfast, coffee, lunch, dinner, whatever. It's important that I'm, that I'm able to talk to people about what we're doing. So if you don't know those things and you'd like to get more acquainted with our church, just write on the back of that connection card, JCI Info Class, because that's one of your steps to moving forward in our church. But what happened with Barnabas and his change in perspective? By the way, I got more things I need you to write down, so don't put away your connection card yet. Turn back to Acts chapter 4 if you still have your Bible open on your lap. Because in Acts chapter 4, we see a verse that means nothing if you don't know the Old Testament. You literally read it and you think, that's cool. But when you understand what it means spiritually, this is a big 
deal for Barnabas. We see a time in his life where his perspective changed and he began to live on purpose rather than just going to church and, and being engaged a little bit spiritually. And it says this in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. It talks about the cool things happening in the early church, how people were becoming Christians, how people were rededicating their lives spiritually, how people were being baptized, how people were repenting from things they'd done wrong, and, and things were really going awesome. And then we read this verse about this guy named Barnabas. This is the first place in Scripture we meet Barnabas, and here's what we find out about him. Joseph, remember that's him, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I need you to underline verse 37. Because we find out in verse 37 that something crazy is happening in Barnabas's life. Barnabas is really getting serious with God. How do you know that? Because he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, the Bible tells us, and I have told you, Joseph was a Levite. You say, what was a Levite? In Numbers and Deuteronomy, we learn what a Levite was. A, a Levite, by the way, was like a, a Missourian or a Kansan. Um, the, when, in the Old Testament, when Israel was divided, they were divided into basically 13 tribes. Uh, there were 12, and then Joseph got two, Ephraim and Manasseh. So there were 13 tribes that were kind of like, they were kind of like states. Um, they were area, land areas. And the Levites were one of those, except the Levites, um, God told every one of the 13 tribes that you're going to get land, you're going to have boundaries, you're going to have you know, some kind of civil government within yourself, you're going to have judges for your tribe, except for the Levites. Um, and the Levites are one of the 13, but you don't, like, you don't get a state, you don't get a land, you don't get any government. The Levites, here's your lot in life. Levites were born with the prestige of God in the temple. By the way, they were the only ones. So you say, wait a minute, they weren't allowed to own land? You're right. One of the 13 tribes was not allowed to develop their own state. But 12 of the 13 tribes were never allowed to go into the temple and talk to God. So the Levites, looking at it, you're thinking, you know, they're, they're really special spiritually. They're the only people who are allowed to go into the temple and serve God. So they're born with the prestige of serving God in the temple. Out of the 13 tribes, they're the only one who can go do that. However, they were born with a restriction against land ownership. Meaning your lot in life is that you're going to live for God, not for yourself. Being born a Levite means that you live for God, not for yourself. So they lived a life, they knew they lived a life, with really only the ability to gain a spiritual inheritance. They weren't able to earn an earthly inheritance. They weren't able to leave an earthly inheritance. They were born only with the ability to serve God, but not really ever benefit uh, personally from that. And somewhere in the past, and we don't know where, Barnabas decided this wasn't good enough for him. Because as a Levite, born in Cyprus, at a specific age, he would have moved to Jerusalem to learn. And then at the age of 30, he would have gone and lived and served near the temple. Until the age of 50, that's what he would have done. And then he would have moved back to some city and another tribe, but lived there. But somewhere along the way, Barnabas said, this isn't good enough for me. I don't just want to serve God all my life. I don't just want a spiritual inheritance. I need more for me. And somewhere along the way, he went and bought himself a piece of ground, which was illegal for him spiritually to do. That wasn't his lot in life. His lot in life was not to own a piece of land and be a part of church. His life was to give everything to God. That was his lot in life. So in Acts chapter 4, what we read is a really simple little story 
is more than that. It's Barnabas coming to his senses that for him, a spiritual inheritance was more important than an earthly inheritance. And he was going to decide that, you know, God, I don't know why you chose me to be born a Levite where I was, but it's more important for me, God, to live for you and honor you than, than to live for myself. And this simple act of selling ground and bringing it to the apostles was Barnabas saying, I'm all in spiritually. My perspective has changed. It's, it's, not, it's not about me, it's about God. You know, I find this so interesting. The best-selling nonfiction hardback book in the history of the world, according to Publish, Publishers Weekly, is this book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. If you've not read this book, I encourage you to read it. As a matter of fact, in the six weeks leading up to our church, we had about 100 adults who were part of our, our launch team, and I bought every one of them a copy of this. And in the 40 days leading up to our church, we all read this together. This is a paper book copy. But the first words of this best-selling book in history, the first four words in this book, chapter one, line one, is this, The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. You see, the purpose-driven life begins with this. It's not about me. I was not created to serve myself, live for myself, gain for myself, leave an inheritance for those I want to. I wasn't just created for me. I was created to make more of a difference than to just live my life. What if your life isn't just about you? What if today is not just about what you could receive from church, but what if there are things happening spiritually today that are being recorded in heaven that one day you're going to be rewarded for? What if, what if our lives are about something bigger than me and something bigger than you? What if, what if we would change our perspective instead of thinking about ourselves all day, every day? We could figure out how to do more for Jesus. This is what happened to Barnabas. Somebody say, Christian, no, he just, he just sold, you know, he just, he just sold land. I believe it was more than that. I believe he was changing his perspective in life to going all in spiritually. Why? Because of the rewards like Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6 and what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, listen, when you live your life, man, you've got to change your perspective. This life is not just about the here and now. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin, and some of your translations say rust, do not destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus said, make sure you don't live all your life for the here and the now. Make sure you live some of your life for eternal things. Make sure you live some of your life for spiritual things. Barnabas had a change in perspective where one day he was living for himself, and he was going to church, and he was serving in the temple. And he, he had some spiritual things in his life. And he went from living for himself to living for eternal things. He had a change in perspective and thought, you know what? I'm going to leave my mark spiritually. And according to Acts chapter 11, verse 24, he did. Secondly, what did Barnabas do to make such an impact on the world? Number two, he returned home. And this is really key to see. I really didn't understand this about Barnabas until I began to study his life more in depth last week and this week. He returned home. He said, what do you, what do you mean he, he returned home? Flip over to Acts chapter 15 if you still have your Bible on your lap. Because we're going to find out that, that one of the first things that Barnabas did is he went home. When we find Barnabas in Scripture, we, I said that he was Paul's kind of church planning sponsor. He was. The church sent him to find Paul. Then the church sent him with Paul. So he, he was kind of at whatever the church told him to do, he did. 
But we find in Acts chapter 15 that Barnabas, for the first time, had, his connection to the church was officially disconnected, and he got to choose what he wanted to do. And here's what Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 39 say. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, or Paul said to Barnabas, remember they were buddies, they hung out, said, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and, and see how they're doing. Barnabas, he wanted to go, but he wanted to take John, also called Mark, his nephew, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take Mark because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, that's a city, and hadn't continued with them in the hard work. To make a long story short, the three of them had gone out before to do ministry. Mark got sick, started crying, went home, and Paul said, I, you're not tough enough for me. I don't want to use you anymore. So it offended Barnabas. It was his nephew. So they get in a little spat about that. So Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he deserted them and hadn't continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement this shows you that sometimes Christians, sometimes Christian leaders can get in spats and disagreements with each other, and eventually it all works out. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed for where? Where was he from? He went home. He took Mark for the first time in his life, his own marching orders. The church didn't say, go there, go there, go there. He told Mark, we're on our own, and he said this, I want to go home. I want to go home, and I want to tell people what has happened to me spiritually. You see, I believe at some point in the life of every Christian, it becomes important to have spiritual influence on the home front with our kids, with our parents, with our in-laws, with our baseball teams and our soccer teams, with our neighbors. Sometime in the life of every Christian, it becomes apparent, like, like I, want to, I want to have an impact on like, the people that are closest to me. And Barnabas, he had that. Now think about it. When he left Cyprus... He left Cyprus as one of the few people who could ever get close to God. He left Cyprus as an elite, a spiritually elite um, person who, who was allowed to go into the temple when no one else was. When he left Cyprus, he was one of the few people that was ever allowed to get close enough to even try to touch God inside the temple of God. But a switch had happened. According to the writer of Hebrews, who may have been Barnabas, when Jesus came and died, and the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn to, in two from top to bottom. That was God's invitation saying, not, it's not just Levites anymore who are allowed to come close to me. Now, anyone in the world, whether you're a Levite or from the other 12 tribes, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, anyone in the world can now be close to God. See, a switch had happened when, when Barnabas left Cyprus. He was one of the few that could ever get close to God. Now he's returning to Cyprus to tell everyone, you can now be as close to God as I used to want to be, and now I am. The way is open. The path is open for us to be close to God. It's what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. That means we don't need any more priests. We don't need any more Levites. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. See, Barnabas, I believe, wanted to go home to tell people everyone's allowed in the temple. Like everyone can come back to Jerusalem. Anyone can talk to God. He wanted the people in his life to know that God loved them, that they could be close to God, that they could be connected to God, and he wanted to, more than just going around the world, he wanted to go home and tell people there was a way to be close to God. Now, Lee Summit has become my home since December of 2010, and it's become my home front. And I will do everything in my power in this community and in Cass County to get people's attention, to let them know they can be close to God, that he loves them, 
And he wants to see him. And not everyone likes that all the time. Man, we, we uh, several months back in October, um, we had Dayton Moore, the general Moore manager of the Kansas City Royals, came and share his testimony and just talk about life and, and baseball uh, and being a Christian in, in big sports business. And we sent out a little postcard. Maybe some of you got it. It was like that big that just said, come here, Dayton, at our church, talking faith, family, and baseball. And I had some lady in the community that within two weeks of sending that out sent me back that postcard with a letter that basically said, don't ever mail to me again, and no one who really loves Jesus would talk about baseball at church, and if you, know, if you want people in this community to hear about Jesus, you just tell them about heaven and hell, and that's all they need. And you know what I did with that letter? A tort and a bunch of pieces threw it in the trash can and thought, forget you, that's not what I'm here to do. I'll use baseball, I'll use football, I'll use marriage, I'll use parenting, I'll use music, I'll use kids' ministry, I'll use Easter egg hunts, I'll use Christmas stuff, I'll use marketing, I'll knock on doors and mail people stuff all day long because I am trying to get people's attention that they can be close to God. Like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I will become all things to all people by all possible means that I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. So you don't want to come here about baseball? Great. But screw you, there's a lot of people who do. And some of them might meet Jesus along the way, right? And clearly I need to be closer to Jesus, but it makes me mad. It makes me mad when, when somebody gets upset that I'm trying to get people's attention to tell them about Jesus. See, Barnabas went home because it was important. And listen, we'll use all those things, but you know the most successful thing to bring someone to Jesus is? You know, the most successful thing in the history of the church world in bringing someone to Jesus is somebody that knows them personally inviting them to church. This week, we will send out a marriage mailer that looks like that, man versus wife, to 20,000 homes in Cass County and Lee Summit. And we'll pay about $6,000 to do that. And statistics tell us that one out of every 1,000 people that gets that mailer. So one out of a thousand may come. We might have 20 families come from that. And that's a highly successful marketing campaign, by the way. Do you know how many people will come to church if somebody who's a friend or a family member personally invites them? You know what the statistics are? 90%. So see, I'm doing stuff that's one in a thousand. Why? Because I care about one in a thousand. But you have a nine in 10 chance of getting someone's attention on the home front to make an impact. You see, Barnabas went home. You say, how do I return home, Christian, to, to really have a spiritual impact on, on my family and on, on my friends and, and on the home front? There are four ways. One of them you may need your connection card for. The first one, according to Scripture, is, is just what we call public baptism. It's with your church family and maybe inviting your family. It's, it's getting baptized. We do it like in an oversized bathtub here because we have church in a school, and we do it on the sidewalk. I don't even know when the next one is. But we give people the opportunity to share their story. This is how I became a Christian, and I want people to know that I've decided to follow Jesus. And then we dunk them. And I have seen some people in our church take that baptism to Facebook and to Twitter and, and to live their life with it. And I've seen, man, what an influence they're having on the home front. Some of you are in here, and you've been Christians forever. Some of you are in here, and you've just become a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Your first step this year in 2013 is to get baptized. That's your first step of influence on the home front. That's why you've got that little interactive connection card, because on the back of this, there's a box that says, I'd like to be baptized. If you've not been baptized yet, trust me, you'd like to be baptized. It might not happen for a while, but if you've not been baptized yet, you need to check this card before you turn it in today, and you need to let us begin to answer your questions and to talk to you about that and to show you how to make a spiritual impact on the home front. How else, how else do you do it? 
You start sharing your testimony. That's a spiritual word that just means you talk about your faith. I just start telling people that I, that I love Jesus. That's it. It's pretty simple. I'm not preaching to them. I'm not trying to convert them. I'm just talking about what Jesus has done in my life. Number three, you start praying. You get a list of people and you start praying for them by name. God, I pray for this person. Help me to have some kind of spiritual influence on them so that they can meet Jesus. And then number four is invitation. You figure out a good time to invite them to come to church with you. Man, we're, we're, look, we're trying to figure out how this year to engage our entire church in inviting unchurched people to church on Easter so they can hear about Jesus. Why? For the same reason Barnabas went back to Cyprus, because the way to God is open, and God wants to be connected to people in our community, and we've got to figure out how to tell them that. So if you've not been baptized yet, maybe this year is, is your turn. And if you mark the back of the car, we're not going to baptize you today, and, and we'll never baptize you if you don't want to. But what you're saying is, I need to take this step in my life Pastor Ryan will contact you. We'll talk to you about it. You'll figure out how to begin to live a life of influence. But then number three, Barnabas began to live a life of service to the church. And I want to be careful when I talk about this because you notice that I put church there. I don't believe that anyone in this room has been called to serve at Journey Church International. But I believe everyone has been called to serve at God's church. Man, we've got to get off the hang-up of denominations and names and pastors and people and churches. And we, we've got to serve God, not churches, right? But at some point, Barnabas said, I'm going to serve God's church. Now, this was the first one, so it didn't really even have a name or denomination. He was just like, okay, this is what God is doing, and I, and I want to help. We need to see church this way. But in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that's why I said he and his sister, a small group hope, when, when this had dawned on Peter, Peter had just been broken out of jail, I should explain that more clearly, but I don't have time right now. Um, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. That's his sister, where many people had gathered and were praying. Man, we look at the life of Barnabas, and at one point, he's a mentor to Paul. At one point, he's a pastor to people. At one point, he's a missionary. At one point, he's a small group host. And here's what we figure out. When, when they needed something done in the church, Barnabas was available. He, we see him hosting, we see him going, we see him serving, we see him bringing, we see him helping, we see him giving. We see Barnabas connected to God's church making a difference in the world. And here's my question for you that I've started asking some of our ministry teams. Where will your spiritual impact be at our church? Where is your spiritual value at our church? I told our setup teardown team, and I want you to think about how this works because for many people it's going to be different. If everyone in our church volunteered, but nobody gave, it, that like wouldn't be good. If everyone gave, but no one volunteered, can you imagine what it would sound like in here with, with 60 babies that are in the nursery behind me all sitting in service right now, and your kid every five minutes asking you to use the bathroom, and you know, kids playing Angry Birds and everything else that they, you know, they do all the time on your phone? I mean, it would be terrible if everyone wanted to do setup and tear, setup, but no one would stay to do teardown. If everyone would invite a friend, but they would only come once a month. If everyone would come every Sunday, but no one would invite friends. See, you have to figure out where your value is going to be. Because of this reason, God gave me this verse last night as I was walking upstairs to bed. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It won't be on the screen, so you might need to, to jot it down. Because God gave, I mean, literally on my way to bed last night, God gave me this verse. And I had my daughter, I said, go get my Bible. And I had her look it up and read it to me because I, I like to teach her how to find stuff in the Bible. But as I, you know, I, the last thing I do on Saturday before I go to bed is go over the message and just figure out exactly what God wants me to say. And this is the last thing that I felt like God wanted me to put in my message 
when I was talking to people about how they were going to serve God, God said, remind them that I see that and I'll remember it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. So at some point in our spiritual journey to heaven, we're going to sit before Jesus at a table with Randy and Polly. You know, I was explaining it to my kids. I said, it's kind of like American Idol, right? You go and there's a judge's table. That's what the, the, you know, the judgment seat of Christ looks like. And you're going to stand on that little stage. And Jesus, the Bible says, is going to reward you for what you did spiritually. What are you going to be rewarded for on that day? Let me rephrase the question that way. When you stand, what is Jesus going to say you did with all your heart? Did you host a small group? Did you lead a small group? Did you set up? Did you tear down? Did you greet? Did you ush? Did, did you rock babies? Did you teach children? What are you doing? Did you give well? What are you doing that one day Jesus is going to say, well done. You did that well. I think we have too many Christians that just go to church and they don't do anything. And one day Jesus is going to say, what did you do for the kingdom? And you're going to say, uh, what do you mean? Nobody told me I was supposed to do anything. Nobody told me I was actually going to stand here and answer this question. This is very awkward now because I, I, you know, I'm not sure. No, I want you to be prepared one day to stand before the judge's table. So Jesus can say, man, good job. Good job. What are you doing? Nobody can do everything, but everyone can do something. No one can do everything at our church, but everyone can do something. I promise you we've got some people who one day will stand at the judge's table. And, and, and Jesus is going to say to them, I remember when you set up those lights every Sunday at JCI. I remember that. And there's going, to be, there's going to be some people that stand there, and Jesus is going to say, I remember how you served in that nursery. And I remember how you stood in the cold and greeted. And I remember when you got there at 6 a.m. To, to set up. And I want you to, and the Bible says you're going to be rewarded for those things. It's like tickets at Chuck E. Cheese. You know, it's like, this is awesome. You know, and there's going to be some kids without no quarters. You know, and they're going to be like, well, no one told me. I'm telling you, this is important to Jesus. Barnabas did this well. You know, I, I had someone two weeks ago that I met with who asked me, he's the second person to ask me this, so I thought, you know, maybe we should share it with our church, who came, he, he lives part-time out of the country, but he said, Christian, I want to support the church. Now, I can probably only be at church once a month. You hear that, and you think, well, they're not going to be able to chip in very well, but he says this, but I can give. He said, so here's what I want to ask you to do, because they did this at his old church. He said, can you do a, a tithe transfer, like an HCA, ACH, um, right out of my bank house? I said, what do you mean? He said, if I can, this is what they did at my old church. Because I'm only there like once a month, I can give you my banking account number, and on the 15th of every month, you can take $500 out for the church. Because I can't do everything, but I can do that. And I thought, you know what? That's someone who one day when he stands before God, because of his forethought, God's going to say, good job in giving. Maybe some of you are like that. Maybe you can't be here every week, and every week you are here, you give, but maybe you're only here once a month. The, the third thing I want to share with you on the connection card, and maybe it's for no one, but maybe it's for someone. I've had two people approach me with it. If you want to set up automatic giving so that you don't forget, or because you hate writing checks, or because it's how you pay the rest of your bills, it's how you pay your mortgage, then on the back of this, I just want you to write three letters, E-T-T. It's what we call electronic tithe transfer. We can, we can contact you. We've talked to our bank, our finance office can set that up where maybe your place of value because you can't be here all the time, but you want to be faithful in your giving can be that way. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I know one day you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, what would you do? And I know none of us there want to have done nothing. 
You know, I asked Karen Bond, who coordinates our volunteers at the church this week, I said, how many different adults volunteered in our church last year? She told me 185 did. I said, how many at a minimum does it take to make church go on Sunday morning? And the answer was 74. Without 74 different adults volunteering, we can't have church on Sunday morning. I said, how about throughout the week, a, a Sunday to a Sunday to make our church go with all our small groups and everything? And she said, it takes 125 people a week to make our church run. Now, my question is, are you one of those 185, 125, 74? Because we want you to step into, not for the sake of our church, but for the sake of your growth, for the sake of your time in front of the judges panel one day, to say, this is where I served. And I couldn't do everything, but I did the little bit that I could do. You know, I've told our people the last three weeks, our church is growing, our organization's growing, we're getting ready to start two services. I mean, things are going to be crazy around here. None of that matters if you do not grow spiritually. If our church grows to thousands of people and has multiple buildings all over the city and people aren't growing spiritually, reading their Bibles, loving Jesus, reaching out to people, meeting in small groups, who cares? Like, what do we do? If I just want to be around a big crowd of people, I'll go to a Chiefs game on Sunday. I want to be with a group of people, at least if they start winning again, I'll go to Chiefs game. They're not a, a tremendously large crowd there anymore, but, but I'll, just, I'll go there. I want to be with a crowd of people that's living on mission, on purpose, trying to see an extraordinary, supernatural move of God. That's what I want. So my invitation today, my application, my home point of my message would be this. I want every one of you to find your place at our church. And on the back of this card, there, the third blank down of my spiritual next step is I want to start volunteering. If you are not engaged in serving yet, and you know what? Maybe your place isn't volunteering, it's giving. But if you're here at least twice a month, we'd love to figure out where you could serve that wouldn't highly inconvenience you, someplace you like, someplace with maybe some of your friends in the church, where you can begin living on mission, on purpose, with a heavenly perspective. Not my church needs this, but my God is watching. And I know one day I'll be rewarded for this. And I'd like to be a church filled with people who are all on mission together. Nobody that's just coming and sitting and watching. Now, with that said, here's the caveat. Some of you have come from churches where you've been used up, you're burnt out, you're tired, and you just need to sit for six months to a year and get ministered to. If that's you, it's not your time to serve. It's your time to rest. So I want to say, if you've come from a difficult church experience and you're tired and you just need to sit and get ministered to, by all means, sit and get ministered to. But if you're ready to engage, let's get going together. We've got a long race to run. And the more of us that are running it together, the better. Let's pray together. God, thank you for our time here today, what we've learned, what you've showed us. Thank you for Barnabas, this guy whose life teaches us so much in Scripture. Lord, literally all we've had to do today is just study the life of one person, and it showed us so much. It showed us kind of how to emulate someone's life, to have a change in perspective. Lord, to begin to live on mission for you, to begin to influence the home front, Lord, to begin to serve in your church, not serving a church or a pastor, but serving you through your church. And God, I just pray that you will motivate our church to be on mission together, not just at church together. And I pray that you'll help us to do that well. And God, I pray that you'll bring revival, a supernatural, extraordinary move of God in our community 
as you do that individually through our people. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today, and this is your first time, if you're in here today and, and maybe you're connected to the church, but you're not connected to Jesus, maybe you're in here and you've never become a Christian, your first step is not to begin serving. Your first step is to become a Christian. To say a simple prayer that sounds something like this, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I want to be close to you. I want to be connected to you. So forgive me for what I've done wrong. Come into my life. Save me. Change me. Use me. And then you can begin serving and living for God. If, if that's your prayer today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if today your first step is to become a Christian, then just pray this prayer with me. I'll say it. You don't even have to pray it out loud. You just pray it in your heart, in your head. God hears those prayers. Just pray this, dear God. Today, I realized that you love me and that you want to be connected to me and that you'll forgive me and accept me just the way that I am and that you'll use me for your kingdom. So today, I ask you to forgive me for my past, to begin to change the way my life and my heart operate and to help me live for you from now through eternity. Change my heart. Come into my life. Be my personal God. And I will follow you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around. But if you just prayed that prayer today, would you just slip your hand up so that I can know, yes, Christian, I prayed today to become a Christian. Just right now, slip it up and you can put it down quickly. God, be with our church. Be with our people. Help us to not be just a Sunday morning service, but help us to be a group of people really living on mission for you. Change us so that we can change our world. Lord, use us so that one day when we stand before you, we'll not stand empty-handed with really no spiritual resume, but we'll be able to understand where our value is and how we can engage in your kingdom. We love you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said today...